Are you ready to take your career to the next level? This is ISE's Michael Hughes. Earning a master's in engineering management from the University of Louisville can strengthen your leadership skills and open new career opportunities in just 10 courses. In UofL's fully online program, you take just one course at a time whenever it's most convenient, making it easy to balance life and education. All you need is a bachelor's in a STEM field. Six Sigma Black Belt certification available and no GRE required. Engineer the future. Get signed up today at louisville.edu slash online. This is Problem Solved, the IISE podcast, where we talk to industrial and systems engineers about their work, ideas, and solutions. Welcome to Problem Solved, the ISE podcast. I'm ISE's Michael Hughes here with IE and Ficklewood Cider Works impresario, Stefan Ingem. Today, we're going to talk about industrial engineering and alcoholic fruit juice. Do those two really go together? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thankfully, they do, as, as IISE goes with everything. How so? Yeah. So we just to give a little background on how we got started. Um, yeah, we started it. We started two years ago, or almost three years ago now, launched at the end of January, and um, then, of course, went right into a pandemic a month and a half later. So, Perfect timing. Yeah. As, as with any, um, uh, any business and starting in, in, from an industrial engineering standpoint, the most important thing is demand and demand forecasting and planning to demand and managing inventory and things like that. It all starts there, right? So... Um, starting a new business, of course, you have almost no idea of what that demand will be. Um, uh-huh. However, we did a lot of benchmarking throughout Los Angeles and Orange County, um, came up with what we thought we could do in the demographics and area that we were in, in uh, downtown Long Beach, where we're located. Uh, and we uh, built a pro forma model um, using kind of just financial analysis and the data we were able to collect to forecast what our sales would be. And then from there, we built, okay, how are we going to make the business work based on that sales data? Then when it came to actually laying out the building and how we wanted to set up production and the interface, the, the unique interface in like a winery, like uh, like Cooled Cider Works, we're, we're a winery by license, so we can make and ferment anything from fruit. So we could make grape wine, we choose to make apple wine the unique business model is that we have the opportunity to have not only a manufacturing setting, which as industrial engineers, we're all very familiar with. Um, but we have the customers in our manufacturing setting at the same time, uh, which is a very fun experience. And uh, one that comes with some unique challenges. You want to do more showmanship than you may do in a manufacturing setting. So for instance, we, um, when we, we set up our tanks, we built a glass wall. So, so the customers come in and they can see the process and feel the process. We have our cellar is open. So when they walk through the tasting room, even on the way to the restroom, they see all of our business. I was looking on the website at ficklewoodciderworks.com, I believe it is. And it just looks like it would be very cool to go in there, get a bite to eat, get a glass of cider and walk around and you can actually see the production process. It's almost like, you know, you take a brewery tour or a winery or a distillery tour, except you're taking that tour while you're in the bar. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, And so, of course, it becomes even more important that we follow um, principles of 
5S and um, you know, make sure our, our value streams and how we're handling material and information throughout the tasting room, as well as the manufacturing setting are very clear and concise for our customers, as well as our employees. Uh, and so um, that, that was, that was a, a unique challenge and a lot of fun to do. Um, and it really helps the customers get more excited about the product. Now, when a customer walks in, do they see any of this evidence of 5S and any evidence of uh, of your industrial engineering tools? They probably don't think of it as industrial engineering. They probably just see the signage and things like that that you've got set up to make sure they don't, you know, walk into the wrong door and fall into a tank or something like that. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. So I always say if if we do our job effectively enough, they shouldn't notice it. It should be seamless, right? Uh, so that, that's kind of what we go for. But as a customer walks in, they, they first, they, the first thing you see is our bar and our tap system. Um, we have uh, 14 taps. And then right behind that tap system is four um, custom-designed wine tanks that we had built in Germany and shipped over. Um, and so it's, it's very apparent that you're, you're not just at a bar or a restaurant mm-hmm. and like, okay, this is, this is where the magic happens. So. <laughs> you're in operations. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, we've also created a group called the insiders. <laughs> C I D E R. <laughs> yep. Yep. And that, that word group, people love that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that group is, you know, a bunch of very passionate individuals. Some are friends and family. Um, some are just early adopters and early customers and they get to, to go a little bit more behind the scenes um, we've given private, you know, private tours, walking them through our processes, um, and even going so far as to involving them in the cider selection and making process. And so giving them options of, okay, we're, we have these three ciders on the table, which one do you guys want to make? Right. Um, and, and then they become kind of a part of the process as well. That's pretty cool. Now, how involved are you in selecting the ingredients and the actual brewing process and things like that? Because, you know, I just think of cider as apple juice, like anybody who doesn't know a lot about it, but I was going through your website. I'm more of a wine in Paris or an English ale type of guy, Mm -hmm. but I'm seeing flavor combinations on your website, like a beet and date sugars, roasted and steep pistachios, mangoes and citrus hops, apples and grapefruit zest, fennel and thyme. And I'm like, that sounds like some tasty stuff, man. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's between myself, my business partner and our cider maker. And we kind of brainstorm, do little small batch trials um, decide what direction we want to go and then um, give insiders as well as customers that come in some tastes of, sa- of those samples and see how they're doing um, before we make a big batch of it. So yeah, we, and it's very important to us. Um, so Joe and myself have dietary needs, right? So mm-hmm. uh, Joe has a, is a celiac and I'm diabetic. And so it's important to us that both that our beverages are always gluten-free and low sugar, low to no sugar. Yeah. And so that's something, you know, maybe you knew cider was gluten-free, but one thing a lot of ciders have a, uh, a reputation for is being sweet or even too sweet. Very so, sweet. Yeah. With, with all of our ciders, there's none that you would describe as sweet, but they do have hints of mango, right? Hints of blackberry. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but we still ferment almost all the sugars out. So you're really celebrating the apple and the yeast that we select 
that really impart the flavors into the wine. You know, that's interesting, uh, Stefan, because even regular fruit juice, the non-alcoholic kind, anytime I'm one of those label readers too, because I just try to limit, you know, salt and sugar and fat and things like that, like anybody's mm-hmm. trying to remain, have some kind of semblance of health. And you look on a bottle or a can of fruit juice and there's like 7 billion grams of sugar in every single one of them. Yeah, yeah. We wanted to make sure everything was natural. No, con- We don't use any concentrates. We don't add any water. Um, we get our juice. Our apples are crushed up outside of Sacramento in Apple Hill. Mm-hmm. They crush it. No preservatives, nothing fancy. Keep it really cold. Ship it to us next day. We actually just had 2,400 gallons show up today. Um, that was crushed. That's why we're doing this in the afternoon. Right? Yeah, that was, that was crushed uh, yesterday. And we're pumping that into our tanks right now. So you might hear some noise in the background, but that, that's what that is. By keeping it cold, we bring it, we do bring it up to um, 55 degrees because that's where our yeast like to play. Okay. Um, and we hand selected um, for our original blend, we hand selected three different yeasts. Um, and so we essentially make three ciders to make one. Hmm. Uh, so it's very rare that you'll get a cider here that's just made from one fermentation. We, so we, we have, for example, four tanks set up. We'll pump the same juice into, into three of those tanks. Then we add one yeast to the first tank that gives it kind of the um, aroma. And we liken it to an apple blossom aroma. And the second tank will add another yeast that we selected that gives you the mouthfeel. And um, it really preserves the juiciness and the perceived sweetness of the apple. Uh, and then we select our third yeast, which goes into the third tank which gives you the finish. And um, we go for a nice kind of like a mineral crisp finish. And then we combine those three after fermentation. And that is what is Picklewood original. So there wouldn't be anything like, you know, a single malt scotch or a single barrel bourbon in the cider world. They're all, they're all blends of different fermentations of ciders blended together to achieve a specific flavor profile. In our cider world. Yes. Cause uh, with, one of the unique things we do is we process like white wine and we follow German white wine processes. Um, there are a lot of other cider makers out there that do it differently and they just use one yeast um, mm-hmm. and they may use different types of apples to get the flavors that they get or, or not. Okay. Um, some use concentrates, some add water, um, things like that. But um, for, for us, we found the best way to do it was to, treat it like what it is, which is a white wine. Mm -hmm. And, um, to get the flavor that we wanted, we had to create three different white wines Mm -hmm. (laughs) and bring them together. But that's actually fairly unique in the industry. That does sound really unique. Was there any type of an ISC tool that you used to try to, to come up and decide why you did the three different barrels and putting three things together as opposed to just going with putting everything in one barrel and fermenting it there? So, one of the challenges that we face is that the traditional cider making apples grew on trees. And uh, uh, after prohibition in the U.S., most of those trees were all cut down. Mm-hmm. And so we are still experiencing the, um, the void of having those specific apples. And so our, our juice is more made from... Um, dessert type apples, like apples that you would see in the grocery stores and things like that. Gotcha. In order to get the the flavor, you know, we fermented single. We said, okay, this one smells great. We really like this. Um, and we had over a hundred trials that we went through in my garage. <laughs> wow. 
That's a lot of trial and error. Yeah, yeah, it was a couple of years. Um, and, and we just couldn't find that we could get the fullness that we wanted from just one yeast. That's almost more just fun taste testing. To some degree, yes, but there's, there's also trial, error, and then adjusting, right? So mm-hmm. you may select a champagne yeast that you really like, but in, it does some interesting things to the wine, but it may bring out the apple, the juiciness of the apple, but the finish isn't quite right on it. And so we had to create like a matrix. Maybe a decision matrix. Yeah. So yeah, creating a decision matrix essentially to um, figure out, okay, how do we get to where we want to be, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, You know, knowing that this yeast gives us that and this other yeast gives us that together, they're amazing on their own. They're still pretty good, but we can make it even better by combining them. So how has your prior experience helped in your experience at Ficklewood? I looked on your profile and you've worked for the Department of Defense. You've worked for Toyota. You worked with Zodiac Aerospace. And then, of course, you had a run with Miller Coors and running a food truck and a catering service, which kind of seems like that was the glide path to get you to Ficklewood Cider Works. Yeah. Um yeah, so I had an excellent experience working with Toyota and their lean group um, and learning a lot of the lean tools and Toyota production system methodologies and also coaching that throughout North America. Um, and so that really helped build the foundation of how I problem solve. And, um, and so I, I'm using that every day. And, and I think one of the, the key characteristics, the key um, things that came out of that was um, always looking to, okay, we, there's two sides of every problem in my mind, right? There's, there's a business side and then there's a human development side, right? And so how do we, how do we marry those two things together to get the result we want? So in this, the cellar and cider making and catering, it's always like we need a consistent product re, regardless of who's, who's making it. Right. The way to do that is to, for me is we involve the employees in the decision-making processes and developing the processes that they're, they're going to, to be performing um, while giving them the guidance of, you know, the quality specifications and the, 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 the technical um, know-how of it. Right. And so that's, that's kind of how we build processes here at Pickle. That's how I did it with our catering and food trucks business. I, got into the brewing and winemaking when I worked in Miller Tours. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what kind of launched me into the food, the food and beverage industry. Then started my own business running the, the food side of things for, for uh, it's been about six, six years now. Mm-hmm. And so now, you know, we bring, we bring the truck because we don't have a kitchen here at, at Pickwood. So it's kind of a little synergy between the food trucks business. They come here and we make food and then we have the cider to provide for the customers. So, so why cider and not beer? Because brew pubs and breweries are really the hot thing. You see a new one on every corner and a lot of them are following that kind of model where they'll do the beverages and they'll have a couple of food trucks outside. I can't tell you how many, Mm -hmm. how many of those I've seen throughout towns, even in the Southeast, which, you know, was the, was the land of prohibition. Um, So, so, so why cider and not beer? You see breweries by the dozens. You you see wineries in certain regions, um, but cider. Uh, I, we both felt that is a beverage that really is just coming back, mm-hmm. right? It's really even since prohibition, it's really just coming back. And 
you'll start to see it's taking a lot more shelf space in the grocery stores than it used to. That being said, the ones on the shelf that you know Joe and I would would enjoy in a, in, the, in the garage together, we just didn't. The quality wasn't there. It was too sweet. It was never quite right. And we started making our own. We felt we were getting pretty good at it and decided mm-hmm. to share it with friends and family. And it, and it kind of grew from there. But yeah, it's really because we see it as the a beverage that isn't... It's not a saturated market yet. And we bring a unique product that even when someone comes in and they're like, well, I don't really like cider. I get excited by that. I'm like, good. Try ours. There's your and, challenge and, right there. Right. Because... Um, it's an educational hill that we're trying to climb and, and because people come in and they think, well, cider is sweet. They're like, well, no, if it's made properly, it really doesn't need to be or my, my eyes shouldn't be sweet. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, it's, it's fun because we get to educate our customers. Um, we bring a product that you really can't put next to anything else that they've had. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're always coming back. So hopefully we're doing mm-hmm. something right. Well, that's good. If you're getting return customers, you know, that's, that's, that's your, that's listening to your voice of the customer right there. And they'll tell people and you'll get the word out. Mm-hmm. Not to mention you're in Long Beach and looks like you got a very cool setup. Tell me about the neighborhood. It looked like there's kind of a cool neighborhood around the uh, cider works there. Yeah. So we're in the East Village Arts District. So we're a block off ocean, um, walking distance to the beach. Um, also walking distance to the heart of downtown. This area has been going through kind of a, um, a revitalization over the past uh, five years. Um, the building that we're in is in the 1930s was built as a DMV. <laughs> yeah, I saw that on your website. Yeah, so, um, and most recently it was a 99 cent store. Um, and it needed a lot of updating. And so between us and the landlord, we stripped it down to the walls uh, and rebuilt pretty much the entire, the entire building. Um, the city helped us out a lot because we're obviously investing mm-hmm. in the in the city and and helping kind of turn turn this the area um, into it's it's changed even in the past three years. There's so much foot traffic. Most of our customers, because there's not a lot of parking, most of our customers live within walking distance. Um, there's high rises in the past year. Three have gone up. One is the tallest building in the city. Wow! Um, and they're all residential and they're all walking distance. Uh, so yeah, it's really cool to be a part of this like growing community. Um, and throughout the pandemic, the support that we've had has really just been unbelievable. Um, our, from our customers, people signing up for, you know, to be an insider, getting, getting cider delivered when, you know, we're not even open. <laughs> right. Yeah. That happened all over the place. Yeah. And they're just helping support us through. And, um, and that's, that's why I love Long Beach. I've been here uh, 12 years now. Joe's been here, I think, 18 or so years. Um, it's a community that supports each other. And all of the restaurants, breweries, bars are all the same. Um, we, we all have a saying. We say Long Beach supports Long Beach, regardless of what it takes. Um, there were, you know, during, there were some riots not too long ago. Um, and we all kind of band together and helped people put things back together that got broke and that's good. Um, and we just take care, take care of each other. That's a great community to be in. It sounds like a, a great location as well. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned you did a lot of lean coaching at Toyota. Mm-hmm. Do you do a lot of lean coaching there nowadays? Are you the chief lean coach for Ficklewood as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we only have a few, a few employees, but um, we have uh, we run everything by, you know, standardized 
checklists and kind of standardized work, um, encouraging continuous improvement. So those checklists always come with a pencil and something that they can scratch and write all over it and uh-huh. um, <laughs> update it as, as we see. And then we come together uh, every few weeks and kind of talk through it and adjust the standards. So that's one thing that's great is lean can be applied to any, any business type. Um, there's no, there's just no restrictions on it. I agree with you. And one, you know, I was talking about all the breweries and uh, brew pubs that have popped up mm-hmm. and, and seeing them, trust me, a lot of them looking at their operations and what I can see, they could use some lean tools and an industrial engineer, yeah. at least a consultant coach. But once you're kind of involved and you look for these things, you see it everywhere, whether you go, yeah. we're, we're at the sandwich shop or your local pub. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because historically the, the beer industry in America is, you know, it's a very high margin business. Um, beer is 90, 97% water, right? Yeah. Um, and so there wasn't a lot of cost pressure on the brewing industry and really until like the late eighties, early nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, and even with Miller Coors, they were starting their lean journey, um, you know, about that time as well. Right. And so, the, but, so there's some things that, I, I believe are the reason for it. One is, yeah, it's a higher margin product. Two, it's batch processing, right? It's not, it's, it's, it's very, you can't really one piece flow. You're not going to do one piece right? flow. <laughs> yeah, you can't, you can't make one glass <laughs> at a time. You've got to make a large batch. And so that's where it really becomes challenging. You got to think outside the box a little bit of, um, with, like I was saying in the, in the beginning, the uh, demand planning, right. And saying, okay, well, what should our batch sizes be? And we went back and forth for months over that because it's, it is a huge decision. Um, and some of it's driven by the, I mean, I guess to some degree, it's all driven by the customer. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing is we want to make a lot of variety to bring people in and, hey, look at this, these new releases that we have and it's fun to experiment. But then when you go large scale, you've got to kind of figure out what your top hitters are and say, okay, we're going to make a large batch of this. We recently just canned, um, 10,000 cans of our top two selling products. Um, and we never thought we'd be doing that in the first year, but um, the pandemic did help a little bit with moving us in the canning direction quicker than we <laughs> that, ha- that happened a lot. You know, my favorite yeah. brewery around the corner and to be brewing, I wanted buying a lot more canned beer from there than I expected to. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but even with that, the cost impacts of, okay, well, we're, we brought in a mobile canning line and these guys are great. They're professionals. They roll their machine in, they hook up to our tanks, they can all the stuff and they're out in half a day. Um, wow. Great. But the cost, there's the initial cost of doing that and the volume increase isn't really, it, it's not a uh, um, one for one, right? So it's really the cost of getting them here to do it. So now it's like, well, if we don't make a large enough batch, our cost per unit is way too high and we can't sell it. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's chicken in the egg. It's like, well, we need a large enough batch so we can get our cost per product down and sell it at a reasonable margin. But we don't want to have all this inventory and, and, you know, um, not follow the lean principles that we built the business on, you know? So yeah, yeah it's a Tim Wood inventory. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, it's a unique, unique challenge for sure. Um, and we're learning every day and, um, you know, going through, being open a month and a half and then right into a pandemic was obviously a huge challenge. We didn't mm-hmm. forecast, um, but uh, we're looking forward to getting through to the other side. And um, we're, we're on shelves now in local 
uh, liquor stores and um, we're looking at talking with grocery stores. So um, we're slowly taking taking over some shelf space in LA and Orange County mm-hmm. where there isn't a lot of cider options. In with LA being one of the biggest metropolitan areas, there's only um, three ciders. Wow. So you, you did choose your market right then, I think. You've got a big market. You don't have a lot of players in that market. So uh, Ficklewood could come in and, and with an industrial engineer behind the scenes, they can dominate. That's the plan. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever been part of an engineering project or team and wished you were calling the shots? This is IISC's Michael Hughes. The online master's in engineering management at the University of Louisville can expand your career opportunities and prepare you to take leadership roles in just 10 courses. Classes cover topics like engineering operations, financial management, and more. You can also earn your Six Sigma Black Belt certification. All you need is a bachelor's in a STEM field and the drive to take your career to the next level. Take charge of engineering projects and teams. Get started today at louisville.edu slash online. What's your favorite cider? And what are the two, what are the two big sellers you mentioned that you, that y'all were canning? Yeah. So my, um, they're like children. It's hard to pick a favorite. <laughs> or if you have one, you can't really say no. <laughs> um, but um, it, it really depends on so many things for me. What my, my favorite cider changes based on the time of year, based on the time of day, the temperature outside. Uh-huh. And, um, I, I can enjoy all the ciders. Sometimes I'll fill my growlers and I'll take them home. And I drive my wife nuts because I don't label them. <laughs> and I do it because it it's fun because it's like, well, I don't, you know, I don't really, I like them all. So I, you know. So who cares which one you pick? Exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, because my wife is also an industrial engineer. So you can imagine what, what happens in our household. Um, but, I'll bet that is one of the most efficient households in the history of the planet. <laughs> yeah, there's some room to improve, especially with a three-year-old and a six-year-old. But um, yeah, so my... Uh, my favorite dust change. We for canning, we thought it was important that we canned uh, Ficklewood Original. Um, it is one of our top sellers, and we always want people to start with that so they can appreciate before we add anything else to it, or um, you know, add hops or mm-hmm. blackberry or oak or anything like or that. Or grapefruit wanna, zest or fennel. Yeah, exactly. We want people to appreciate the the base and where we're coming from, and um, and. I, you know, I liken it to a, a white wine that is uh, lightly carbonated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then um, our other, which is the other one we can, which is our most, our, our boldest, probably the other end of the spectrum cider, which you won't really find anything like it on the shelves either, is uh, called Moody Root. So uh, Moody Root is co-fermented with dates and beets, fermented completely dry. We roast and steep pistachios. Then we squeeze and zest blood orange and age on French and Hungarian oak. So it is uh, quite an experience. To say the least. Uh, you get the upfront aroma of the pistachio. It's not overwhelming. It's just like a light nutty aroma. Um, mm-hmm. And then the grape, um, the blood orange is up front followed by a smooth oak finish and, and it's finishes completely dry. Uh, it's, it's really, 
we love it <laughs> and our customers do too. So. You know, your description is going to have a lot of us people here on the East coast wishing this pandemic was over so we could take a trip out there just to try it. <laughs> right. That's great. Yeah. We we're currently distributing just in California, but our next round of canning uh, will be um, able to ship uh, throughout the United States. So. Oh, that's great. Because I was actually, yeah. that was on the list of my questions is you were still just serving in the bar or in the cider. Is it called a cidery or a cider works? So or what's the, what's the proper term? Cidery. Yep. A cidery. We're okay. A, we're a winery by license. So, okay. Yeah. So you're already starting your supply chain logistics issues by getting mm-hmm. stuff out the door and getting it canned and getting it into stores, right? Yeah. Yeah. So right now I am the supply chain and logistics. <laughs> I'm driving around samples to everybody. And so far everyone we've given it to is, is interested and we're just waiting. We placed some orders and um, expecting a few more orders this week. So um, really just got started in the past couple of weeks. So you do you drive the truck yourself? Yeah, I just use my own uh, truck for now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but with my food truck experience, I can drive some pretty large vehicles, no problem. <laughs> well, well, that's good. Uh, didn't y'all have uh, an ISC gathering there, the local chapter there? Was that was that l- earlier this year? Was that late last year? I think I remember something about yeah, that. It was late last year before we opened to the public even. Um, we reserved uh, a night and a space for them um and the local chapter came in um the cause who heads up that chapter even stayed late and helped me clean up and then helped me make cider because uh, i had some cider making things to do so it was, oh man that's cool yeah it was a really fun experience um they, they all enjoyed it had some great questions and um just a different uh different setting than I think a lot of industrial engineers are used to working in. So. Yeah. Well, Costicate is a great guy. He's been a big supporter of ISC for a number of years and he encourages a lot of people to get involved. So we definitely yeah. want to give him a shout out. Yeah. He's, he's an amazing person. So in your early formative years, what made you gravitate toward industrial engineering? Um, interestingly enough, I actually started as a computer engineer my first year of school and um, I did computer engineering for the Air Force and the Department of Defense. Um, I found that it wasn't, I missed the interaction with people. And so I actually talked to a guidance counselor and was doing some research and wondering, do I want to be programming? Uh, and you know, I found that, no, I want to work with the connection between people and equipment and processes. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know what industrial engineering was at the time. Once I found that out, I said, Oh, they, they actually already have that discipline. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have to invent something for you. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, that's kind of how, how I got started. And there went to Rochester Institute of Technology, uh, for industrial and systems engineering, and then did a concentration in psychology to kind of bring in more of that, that human element as well. Well, that's the great thing about industrial engineering. People who don't know anything about it, which I used to be before I was hired by ISE, they think it's all technical. And yeah, there's a lot of technical stuff. You can read your ISE transactions and you can see your 17 pages of uh, equations if that's what you want to do. But a lot of it deals with integrating people into processes and into machinery and into the mechanics and into the business operations. And there's where your human factors in your psychology concentration comes in and uh, makes it a key to really making any operation really work. They've been talking about the lights out factory since the 1980s, but they still don't have it. So, right. you know, nope. people are always going to be there somewhere. Yeah, exactly. It's just how, how we interact, right? Yeah. So 
I read on your website something about the nine foot high long pour. That sounds really cool. What is that? Yeah. Um, so that is a, out of our 14 taps, we have one tap that goes up to the ceiling. And so it is uh, nine feet up guests or before when we were open, guests could come in, um, monitored, of course, and pour from the nine foot tap where it falls and uses. Okay. Yeah. And, and so it's a tribute to Spanish style ciders. So back in the day, Spain was not allowed to carbonate their wine. And so what they would do, and they still do tra- for some traditions um, today, is they open from a barrel or they pour from up high to give it that, uh, catch it in the glass, give it that effervescence and that uh, slight carbonation. Hmm. And so um, we do a nitrogen push instead of a CO2 push with, with our cider. Um, falls nine feet from the skies. You catch it in the glass, all the foam builds up and pours over the top. Uh, and that's our tribute to, you know, Spanish. What, what is the point of doing that? Is it just to, to, to add a little carbonation where there is not natural carbonation? Yep. Yep. It also aerates the wine, right? So mm-hmm. a lot of the aromas come out more. It's like when you open a bottle of wine and let it sit um, or you stir it in your glass, right? It's essentially doing the same. So why Long Beach? Is cider just kind of fit the Long Beach laid back Southern California profile? Or is that just because it's where you lived or there was a great opportunity there or a combination of all of those factors? Yeah, it's um, where both uh, Joe Joe and I live. Um, We are all involved in the community here. Um, We knew that we'd get some good community support um, and um, it was important for us. We didn't look anywhere else. It was important for us to establish the, the business and the brand here, knowing that um, the demographics and clientele and the community would kind of support the journey. So what is next for Ficklewood Cider Works? Yeah, so we took this opportunity of being shut down with, we always say with every tragedy, there's opportunity. And um, we expanded our production. So we actually poured new concrete and brought in four tanks, doubling our, doubling our capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we can now take larger contracts um, and it's really wholesale and commercial distribution and, and growing that. And so now if we get the call from, you know, Costco or Target or whoever it may be, we can react and have, have the products, have the volume and the capacity to, to meet that order. So use the downtime to expand your capacity so you can be agile if demand pops up somewhere unexpected. Yeah. Yeah. We figured it was the only time to do it because we don't have any customers in here so we can do construction. Right. We didn't want to necessarily do it right now because we had just finished construction in January. Right. <laughs> but, didn't we do this two months ago? What are we doing again? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, it was, it was the right move to make. And now um, we're, we have the flexibility to grow and react. And so that, and that again, it's, you know, you always want your demand to lead you to making decisions. However, um, knowing that the size of the metropolitan area and the amount of uh, cider available, there's a big gap. And we wanted to be able to be flexible enough to react when uh, we do score the bigger contracts. So is it a state secret or you can tell, or can you tell me what the capacity of uh, Ficklewood Cider Works is right now? Um, let's see. It's, so each, each of our tanks is 620 gallons and um, we have eight of those. So I can kind of do the math and figure that out. It takes about three months to cycle a batch to make a batch of cider from the time we put it in the juice today. So that 
in the tanks today. The juice we put in today will be ready uh, around Thanksgiving time um, by the time uh, fermentation is complete. And we're looking at ways to reduce that, but we also don't want to sacrifice quality. So um, the, the one thing that impacts our capacity most is cider is a wine and it can age. And mm-hmm. it ages beautifully over years. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. And, and so we have been fortunate enough to sell everything pretty much that we've made so far, but we would like to have a buffer that we can age for a year and release a vintage, a 2019 vintage, uh, a pandemic vintage. Yes. (laughs) Um, uh, So it, it does come where we can have the product ready in three months, but we, we feel like it really starts about nine months after you start. And so that includes all the aging. Uh, some of the products start to really change and evolve and peak. Um, and uh, we have one uh, pr- product in particular, Wisevine, which we made with uh, 7% Cabernet Sauvignon. And that was always a great product. People loved it. Yeah. Then about three months ago, it just uh, it blossomed, to, to, to put it, you know, it really just blossomed into just a even better product than it mm-hmm. was. And it started selling. It was great that our customers recognized it yeah. uh, as well because the sales also picked up. Uh, so, so to the capacity question, I know I'm kind of skirting around the answer because it really depends on each individual cider is unique. And when we feel they're ready to be released. This is what I love about this job is learning stuff like this. I had no idea cider could be aged like wine or like those Samuel Adams long-term beers that they talk about. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the, a lot of the breweries are doing those types of things. So they put a batch behind and then they bring it back out a year later. And this is our 2018 vintage Porter or whatever. And y'all can do the same exact thing with cider. Yeah. Now, how does it change? How does I've honestly never had an aged cider. I think the last time I had a cider was five or six years ago. And it was, I'll, um, you can go smack me later, but one of those like Mike's hard ciders <laughs> or something like that, that I'm sure is totally, totally not even close to the quality of what y'all are putting out there. Um, yeah. So it's, um, the best way to describe it is just like, it's similar to wine because it is a wine. Um, you know, over time, if you, some of the more, you know, expensive and popular wines are from, you know, 20 years ago or whatever. Right. Right. So, um, and the aromas come out, it becomes kind of richer, deeper, more, more complex. Um, and it's very dependent on what, what is in it and what we did, you know? So I think the, the apple in the wise vine example, the apples, um, and the Cabernet just um, kind of the flavors bonded together, you know, mm-hmm. and, and aged together, and really just kind of came together and, and yeah, came out. It's kind of like a curry. A lot of your, your top curry restaurants, they'll make a batch, they'll let it sit a few days, and then the flavors marry together, and then they serve it to the customers, type of thing. So it yeah. takes a lot longer than a few days with this. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's just fascinating stuff. Oh, how long were y'all closed when COVID hit? Um, technically, we're still closed. So we closed March 15th. And um, till now, um, we're waiting for LA County to drop off the watch list. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, they're classifying us with bars um, where restaurants are allowed to be open in some capacity. They're classifying us with bars, which we don't feel is the right classification because people don't come here to get 
drunk or whatever, you know, it's, right. it's more of an experience. And, um, but yeah, so we're, we're hoping we open before the end of the year. Um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, October maybe, but we don't really know. But with the canning operations you're bringing in, you're able to get product out the door still. Yep. And you're also probably able to expand your market by getting it into stores as well. So yeah. one day when you're open, you can go get your six pack of cider at the local, uh, local save a lot or five and dime or whatever the stores are in Southern California. And it's like, you know, I think I'm going to visit this place. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, we have a constant flow of delivery and takeout going. So we're open seven days a week for delivery and takeout. Uh, we open in the afternoons during the week, uh, five, four or five o'clock, depending on the day. Um, and we have extended hours on the, on the weekends as well. We use, um, local delivery services as well as DoorDash. And then a lot of people, because they were next to Vons, which is a popular grocery chain out here. Um, a lot of people walking home from the grocery store, stop by and get their cider on the way home. So <laughs> we're excited. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Well, Stefan, I thank you for your time. Uh, is there a question that I should have asked that I'm simply too ignorant about cider <laughs> operations to ask? Because this is honestly my first interview with a cider works guy. It'd be great to have you guys out for a tour sometime or maybe even a virtual tour. Oh man. <laughs> Road trip. Yeah. I'm going to propose that to my boss as soon as things open up. Yeah. I would love to come out. I'd love to try some of these because like I say, I'm more of, you know, your, your French wine in Paris or your English ale, but um, you've got me excited to try some, something besides um, the store brand ciders that frankly, the reason I don't drink them is I tried them and wasn't really all that impressed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time. All right. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Problem Solved, the IISC podcast, a production of the Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineers in Metro Atlanta. This podcast is produced by David Brandt, Keith Albertson, and Michael Hughes, and edited by David Brandt. You can listen to all episodes of Problem Solved and learn about sponsorship opportunities by visiting our website, podcast.iise.org. You can also learn more about IISE at the Institute's website, www.iise.org.